Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. Uh, After a few weeks of speaking with investors and ophthalmologists, we're returning to the corner office for this talk. I'd like to welcome Vince Zanito, Chairman and CEO of Airy Pharmaceuticals. Welcome, Vince. Hi, Tom. It's great to be on uh, on the call with you. Great. Thanks for taking some time. So you've been uh, here and there in the ophthalmology industry for many years, and, and you were also a, a partner at Windermere uh, Venture Partners a while ago. So you've you've seen many sides of of ophthalmology. Uh, looking more at the operational side, since you're chairman and CEO now, what have been some of the the differences between the different companies you've worked at, whether the smaller specialty pharma companies or the biotechs like Airy, or, or some of the larger companies as well? Well, I've um, had the opportunity to to work. I was president of the Americas at Allergan for about three or four years back in the mid-90s, and then uh, after a stint uh, in in a startup um, called CombiChem in the combinatorial chemistry space, which we took public and sold, I got back into ophthalmology at ISTA, and I was there for about a decade, and then uh, joined Airy as chairman uh, first and then CEO roughly about a year or so ago. You know, what's interesting is uh, two things. Number one, the whole evolution of ophthalmology in terms of going from a pretty sleepy market to uh, one that is uh, very well funded uh, uh, with a lot of names that have come out and a lot of technology that's been developed. And uh, as you go from these large companies like Allergan to a spec pharma company like ISTA or now a biotech company like Gary, you see dramatic differences in the management styles. Probably in the smaller companies, you see speed as the biggest difference um, where you know we can do things so much faster in a small company that uh, takes uh, just forever to get everybody together in the same room in a large company mm-hmm. that, that we're able to compete very effectively in the marketplace uh, as a result of that you know likewise uh, when we look at a biotech play like uh, like airy uh, our ability to move quickly and get products uh, you know from uh, the medicinal chemist bench through uh, the various studies that we have to do then eventually into the clinic well, there's an awful lot of trial and tribulation and, uh, and quite a bit of luck. Uh, we can certainly tend to do, do things quite a bit faster than uh, many of the large companies. And, you know, we do take quite a few more risks probably as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've made a comment recently. I was listening to your presentation at the Canaccord Conference, and you stated quite clearly that whoever wins in, in glaucoma uh, can become a major player in ophthalmology. And uh, with, with the strong phase two data for your lead drugs, Roclitan and Repressa, and Repressa is in two phase three trials, right? That, That's correct. That would seem to put you in a great position to uh, become a significant player in ophthalmology going forward. Well, we expect to be, and uh, we've been very uh, lucky and, and thankful about the success of the products in the clinic and certainly are very excited about the uh, the data that, that we have started to, to showcase uh, not only in the investor community, but also with ophthalmologists, uh, not only around the country, but around the world. Uh, We think that uh, because glaucoma is by far the largest of all of the ophthalmic markets, certainly for the front of the eye and the eye drop space, it's about a $5 billion market and growing uh, about 2 or 3% a year, but we think a lot more patients are going to be coming in. So the markets... I think are going to continue growing and maybe even double over the next decade. And so 
uh, we have found traditionally that uh, the biggest players, Allergan and Alcon, whoever was winning uh, uh, in the glaucoma space, um, they ended up at the top of the heap when it came to selling pharmaceuticals for ophthalmology. And so uh, you know, we think that as a result of, of the size of the market and the success that we expect from the products, that over the next uh, three or four years as we launch these products and get established, that uh, we could end up being a very big player in the space. Fantastic. Can you introduce us a bit to the to the two drugs? I mean, they, they obviously have uh, the opportunity to be the, the the first new entries into the glaucoma field in, in a couple of decades. But they also, I understand, they have some some unique and, and multiple mechanisms of action that can make them very useful. Well, the the, uh, the idea of for the company back uh, eight years ago really uh, came from between the ears of David Epstein, who many. Um, of the listeners will remember as the chairman of ophthalmology at Duke. Unfortunately, he passed away here a couple of months ago. And, and his thought was, let's come up with a once-a-day product that treats the true underlying cause of the disease, which is a, a problem with a trabecular meshwork, uh, which is the primary drain of the eye. Normally handles about 80% of the outflow from, from the eye. And uh, because it's avascular, there's no way to provide nutrients except for the aqueous humor coming through it. And so the company set off on a medicinal chemistry track, and uh, we, we made uh, about 1,500 different molecules. Uh, some were very, very highly specific rokinase inhibitors, which could directly impact the trabecular meshwork uh, and relax it, allowing more fluid to go through it. Other ones were more general rokinase inhibitors that had other targets that it would hit, for example, protein kinase C, and then one that uh, we found, one uh, track of uh, the molecules we found particularly interesting and, and very effective was the one that ended up becoming Ropressa, which has the ability to not only relax the trabecular meshwork and increase the outflow, but also ha is a norepinephrine transport inhibitor, which actually works on the ciliary process to decrease the amount of fluid being produced, so you're impacting two out of the three variables in, in Goldman's equation uh, for glaucoma or, or intraocular pressure where uh, you're decreasing the amount of fluid coming in or the inflow, increasing the amount of fluid going out, specifically through the trabecular meshwork, the outflow. And then we also uh, recently, as in fact, as early, early this year, we reported that the drug actually has been shown to decrease the episclerovenous venous pressure which typically represents about half of the intraocular pressure in the normal eye. And so by being able to do that, the drug works uh, very, very effectively in decreasing pressure, regardless of the entry pressure that the patient presents with. Hmm. And you know, a lot of physicians out there know that it's very, very difficult to use existing <coughs> drugs like the beta blockers or many of the prostaglandins if you have patients with pressures on the lower end, you know, call them, you know, 21 and below. And uh, our drug seems to work about the same uh, regardless of the patient's pressure. So those patients currently have no treatment available to them? Well, they, you, you can use uh, existing medications like the prostaglandins and the beta blockers. Mm -hmm. uh, the only difference is that instead of getting dramatic uh, intraocular pressure drops that you see at the higher ends, you tend to get much lower drops. So as a result, uh, you'll see patients, uh, uh, especially in what physicians call the low-tension glaucoma, which is pressures typically below, you know, the average in the U.S. is about 20-21, and so these are patients down below that, and uh, they may need two or three drugs to get 
their pressures low enough to really see an impact uh, from the therapies. Um, and so uh, we're very excited about the, the opportunity here, and um, it's a relatively straightforward path uh, from an FDA perspective uh, for Repressa. For Roclitan, it's a little bit different um, in that it's a combination in the same bottle of Ropressa along with Latanoprost, which, as many of you know, is the uh, the leading uh, has been the leading product for glaucoma treatment um, in a number of years. And so we recently showed our phase two results of that and showed uh, a much greater decrease in, in ocular pressures than with just Latanoprost alone. And Frankly, no one's ever been able to beat latanoprost by a whole lot. So the fact that, that we got fairly dramatic drops in pressure, um, especially across broad ranges, and some of the pressures that we got were, we had uh, a fairly large percent of the patients, about 50% of them, uh, had pre- ended up with, uh, after treatment on Roclitan, with pressures below 16, which is, again, a very, very high heart hurdle from an efficacy point of view, to achieve, and Latanoprost was not even half of that. So we're very pleased with the results and look forward to moving both products into Phase 3. Fantastic. We're going to take a quick break just to hear this message, and we'll be right back. OIS is now accepting applications for presenting companies. Share your technology and clinical data with over 800 industry executives, investors, and key opinion-leading ophthalmologists. To be considered for the Ophthalmology Innovation Showcase, apply online at www.ois.net forward slash application. Okay, and we're back with Vince Anito, Chairman and CEO of Airy Pharmaceuticals. Vince, what has the, the, the um, process been like in putting together these clinical trials? Is there so, such demand for these products is I imagine it's fairly simple to to find willing participants and to and to build a successful or build a complete trial that has then culminated in in success in the first two phases. Well, it really is, and what's interesting is the and, and sort of what highlighted it for me was our investigator meeting that we had in Chicago earlier this year for the Ropressa Phase Three trials. We had 180 plus people in the room uh, from the various uh, sites that were going to be conducting the trial, and and a couple of physicians came up to me um, that I've known well and have known over the years, and said, you know, this is the largest gathering for front of the eye guys that we've seen in a long time, uh, and these are the biggest studies we've been involved with in a very very long time. And so uh, for uh, for the trials that we have conducting here in the U.S., which we call Rocket 1 and Rocket 2, uh, we have roughly 40-plus sites um, assigned to each. Um, and we think that uh, enrollment's going very, very well. We've only into it, been into them for about a month or two and uh, seem to be enrolling very quickly. And I think it just speaks to uh, you know, how large this market is. There's 2.7 million uh, treated glaucoma patients in the U.S. this year, and uh, about oh another 200 plus thousand that come in every year. So there's both uh, existing patients that we can just simply use in a trial by washing them out of their existing drugs, and then trying them on uh, one of the drugs that uh, where we're conducting the trial, or uh, we can take a naive patient. And so unlike uh, some of the back of the eye studies where it's impossible to find naive patients anymore. Uh, in glaucoma, we have the best of both worlds and 
can either take uh, new ones, new patients, or we can take guys that are already on therapy that are willing to be washed out for 30 days and then uh, restart them on uh, one of the uh, study drugs. So we have uh, uh, quite a few patients to pick from. What are the areas uh, beyond, beyond area? I mean, glaucoma, as you've stated a few times, is, is a, a, an enormous problem and a, therefore a huge opportunity. What other areas uh, excite you, uh, the potential treatments excite you, and whether it be sustained release or certain devices? Is this an area that's getting, uh, getting a lot of attention and has a lot of innovation coming down the pipeline? Well, the noise level around glaucoma in general has been, I, I can't remember it being this high ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe when the prostaglandins uh, were launched, and, and that was right after, uh, you know, for the old timers, uh, Timoptic was the leading product in, in ophthalmology, and it sold all of about two hundred million dollars. You know, that was back in the mid '90s before the prostaglandins. And so, uh, but right today, we have a huge number of things going on. We have a lot of new companies being started. You know, the venture community has. Uh, uh, really taken hold and brought out uh, companies to both on the pharmacotherapeutic side as well as on the device side. We see uh, more diagnostics coming out in ophthalmology, which is all good news. Uh, you know, for us in the field of glaucoma, we're obviously excited about the, own pro- uh, the products that we have today. Uh, we continue to look at uh, new mechanisms to see if there's other ways of supplementing what we have, either through internal research or in licensing from other uh, from other laboratories or other companies. Um, obviously, uh, one of the, the challenges for all of us is that uh, once a patient has had glaucoma and they've lost some vision, um, haven't figured out a way to get that vision back, mm-hmm. and so that. Uh, with some of the uh, nerve regenerative technologies that other fields are studying and and the like, there maybe there's hope that someday we'll be able to find something that'll do that. So I think there's a, a huge array of uh, of approaches that can be uh, applied to the treatment of glaucoma and, and ocular hypertension. And the good news is, my gosh, there's a huge amount of money available out there. And so with good ideas and good management, um, a lot of new companies should be able to come to, to the forefront. What do you see as the, the pros and cons of, of managing a public company versus managing a private company? Well, the, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to do both. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I came to uh, Aerie uh, at the time that it was private, and I had already taken one company public and ran another public company prior to that, or a couple prior to that, and so had uh, plenty of experience in doing it either way. Um, the biggest difference we saw is that uh, you, you can keep things quieter in a private environment. You know, there's a lot of, you know, ups and downs in this in this space, and there's days where, you know, you're glad you're private because something didn't go exactly right, mm-hmm. and you're just glad that it's just your board that you have to answer to, and you know, they're never shy about telling you what they think. And so um, uh, you're able to get through that and, and you know, move on. And, and if the story still holds and it's just you know, something that was screwed up or, you know, different concentration and needed to be you know, studied, um, you just move forward. Unfortunately, in a, in a public environment, all that would immediately, within a few days, have to be made public. And so every day you have a scorecard that you have to worry about and, investors that uh, worry about that scorecard meeting your stock price. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I think that there's pros and cons to uh, 
to the approach depending on where you are in, in your stage of development. And, you know, for example, in our own company, uh, um, we may have um, tried to go out a little too quickly. Uh, you know, as I was coming into uh, the company as chairman, the company was trying to uh, take some baby steps to go public. And uh, we may have been better off waiting a few months. You know, at the end of the day, after making a management change and uh, my taking over the uh, CEO slot, in addition to being chairman, um, uh, we had more data. Uh, we were able to pick between two products and two very, very different products. Uh, we've obviously uh, tried to pick the best one based on the clinical results. Mm -hmm. And we had a very successful IPO and have had a successful track record to date. Um, you know, sometimes uh, uh, you just have to rely on luck and, and not to worry too much about your <laughs> skill level. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of um, puts and takes, and I guess there's no really good answer for it just depends on the company and its stage and the individuals involved. What changes have you had to make within the company to to manage uh, a public status, publicly traded status, and and has it changed your you know outlook in the day when you start the day? Do you see it leaning more towards telling the story and and, and attracting investors and drawing new investors rather than managing the company, or is it still primarily your your managing the company and the the public investor investment aspect or investor aspect is uh, is um, a, a secondary responsibility. Well, the advantage that I have uh, and, and sort of built the management team accordingly is that uh, I have worked with most of these folks for before, mm -hmm. and I was able to come in, and the company only had about twenty people or twenty three people when I joined, and. You know, we now have a little over 30, but most of those new ones are people that uh, have, have been involved with uh, with me, either at Allergan or at ISTA or both. And so we were able to bring in quite a few folks that I can rely on, that I knew how they were going to respond during different uh, situations. One of them was our President Chief Operating Officer, Tom Mitra, who worked with me both at Allergan and at ISTA. And he he does most of the day-to-day -day stuff. He's really the face of the company in ophthalmology, and he's the one that knows all the doctors, and he travels the country and goes to all the meetings, et cetera, and, and then deals with the day-to-day -day of the R&D side. Um, in my case, I deal mainly with the, uh, the corporate development side along with uh, uh, Craig Skeens, who uh, worked with us at ISTA and uh, then went on to work at Santen for a number of years. And so... Uh, he and I deal with uh, you know, either out-licensing our own products or bringing in in-licensing, uh, uh, products via in-licensing. Mm -hmm. um, then I work with our chief uh, financial officer, Rich Rubino, who uh, for a little company like this, uh, you know, he's, he's a world-class CFO. He was at uh, the CFO at Medco, uh, the big PBM that was sold to, uh, to uh, CVS Caremark a number of years ago. And so he and I spent all, a lot of our time with investors. And so um, because of that skill set, it allows me to really focus mainly sort of external to ophthalmology for the most part, while Tom and, and his team deal with the ophthalmology and the day-to-day -day operations of the business. And then uh, together we deal with a strategy on how to deal with the FDA and whether or not to commercialize uh, in North America and what to do in Europe and Japan. So, you know, 
I, I do spend some time dealing with the uh, the day to day stuff, but it's uh, it's more on the strategy side than anything else. Hmm. Final question. I mean, you've you've clearly got the, a team there built for the the long run, but but what what do you see as the company's long term aspirations? You know, obviously you can't look in, into the future and know what will happen, but is there the kind of company that can become a fully integrated pharmaceutical company, or do you see some sort of partnership or acquisition as a more likely outcome for the company? You know, in today's environment, it's kind of interesting, and one of the downsides of being public is you're for sale every day. Sure. And so, uh, as we have found, you know, we're only a few blocks from uh, our friends at Allergan, and so <laughs> I think everybody's aware of what they're going through today. So there's really no no size that can keep you from being taken out at some point, especially if you're public. You know, for us, our intention has been uh, has been pretty clear to everybody from day one. We we want to maintain the rights to our products for North America. We've been successful in the past in building commercial operations in the U.S. and can, you know believe we can do that again here. Uh, we will out license in Japan, and so um, again we brought Craig Skeens in to uh, handle the business development activities and get us known in Japan. And we just started those activities here about a month or so ago. In Europe, we have an interesting dilemma in that uh, the, the work that we're doing in North America for the clinical side on both efficacy and safety, we think will be sufficient to uh, to get us uh, European approval. So uh, we are moving towards trying to find partnerships in Europe, uh, either with local or global companies, um, and really have to decide uh, when's the best time to execute on something like that in terms of you know, finally putting uh, uh, a contract in place because you know we could do it now and uh, gain some value for that um, coming out of phase, you know, successful phase two trials, but we could also wait roughly a year and have successful, hopefully successful phase three trials. Mm-hmm. So it'll make the products even more valuable. And so you know we have to decide you know about doing that. And then uh, an incremental wrinkle is. Uh, you know, these products could be very, very big, and the market research we've done you know, certainly shows that not only will they be successful in North America, but also in Europe as well as Japan. And so one other alternative that you know we have to think about is whether we want to set up our own operations or acquire something uh, to commercialize these products in Europe on our own. Mm-hmm. So we've got all those options available, but certainly uh, the one that's been the most consistent is we do want to commercialize in North America. Terrific. All right. Well, your plate is definitely full, and I appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk with us today. Not a problem. It's been my pleasure, and uh, look forward to uh, to seeing everybody at OIS uh, in Chicago later this year. I'll see you there. Thanks, Vince. Take care. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Vince Anito. Next week, I'll be speaking with Mike Brownell, CEO of Gobiquity, one of the several digital companies presenting at OIS in Chicago. Please listen in, and we'll see you in Chicago. Don't miss your chance to attend the next Ophthalmology Innovation Summit at AAO on October 16th in Chicago. OIS will showcase market-changing technologies and provide a forum for industry leaders to discuss and debate the challenges and opportunities facing this dynamic industry. Hear what world-renowned ophthalmologist and inventor Dr. Steve Charles has to say. This is a great forum to get everybody in the same room. These are not separate parts of the puzzle. They've got to be a cohesive unit to work together. We can't see the FDA or the venture capital community's adversarial. They've got to be part of the process. And so this is dialogue. That's what this is about. And it was a very effective forum for that. It's the fifth time they've held it. 
It's also very effective in the spring at the ASCRS meeting. I'm delighted to be a part of it. So visit the new OIS Supersite for more details and to register at www.ois.net.